Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, the history podcast from a Baptist perspective. I'm Mark West. And I'm Matthew Lyon. And today we're going to be taking a break from our series on Baptist distinctives to talk about abuse in the church. Yeah, tough topic. I think it's appropriate because two things happened this week. Uh, December 9th, 2018, so one year ago, the 9th last week. A couple days ago. Yeah. yeah. Three days ago. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram put out a series of articles. I think Sarah Smith wrote them all, or she led the investigation. And the investigation was into allegations of sexual abuse among independent fundamental Baptist churches. I think there were over 400 yeah. nationwide. So that exposed what a lot of us already knew. A lot of these stories we already knew about. Uh, and then there were a bunch of new ones. And then also last week, Giovanelli, Cameron Giovanelli, former pastor of church near Baltimore, near us, who we have connections to secondhand, know people who are friends with them or, or attend church there. Last Was it last year that he was accused publicly? I think it was about a year ago. That sounds about right. By uh, a former church member of his when she was a teenager. So he was out working at Golden State Baptist College. And this teenage girl, who is now a grown woman, did not want that to happen because she didn't want him to continue to abuse people. So she revealed what she knew, what he had done to her, calling for pastors to do the right thing and remove him from power. Uh, she, They did not do that. So she went to the police. And a year later, he pled guilty on multiple counts. Uh, I don't remember the counts, but I think misdemeanors, sexual mm-hmm. assault or something like that, was pled guilty, was, will be sentenced or in Baltimore courts. So that just happened. Uh, so a woman's name Sarah Jackson, who came forward with this, filed charges, was then attacked repeatedly mm-hmm. by other independent Baptist pastors who said all sorts of terrible things, drug all things, sort of bad things out of the past, defended Cameron Giovanelli, and said a lot of things that turned out to be false before they knew anything, or maybe they did know and they covered it up. Either way, he pled guilty. Uh, so that happened this week. So we th- that would be a good time to address the huge problem. Which I think is tied in with the bigger movement in America, the me, what we call the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. which is basically just women stop, who are tired of being abused speaking up and saying these men in power have been getting away with this. Sometimes women in power, the key word there is power. Yeah. And so they're speaking up and not being sort of intimidated anymore. And there's, I'm sure there's been some fallout, false accusations, I'm sure, somewhere in some state. But... I think I think the FBI said something like ninety five percent of accusations are true, and most most go unreported. Yeah, and just look at these cases. No one wins by yeah. doing these sort of things. You get terrible press. You get attacks from all corners. You get people you trusted and were friends with sending. I saw le- copies of letters they sent to people. You used to be a good person. Now you're a terrible person. Like who wants that kind of stuff? Right. Which is why most go unreported. Yeah. Most people don't want to. They're like they already went through one horrible thing. Right. They don't want to re-bring it and have all sorts of new people, which is why there's a huge problem uh, with us abuse and especially abuse in the church. Some people would say Christianity is the problem. 
I disagree as a Christian. I think we both disagree as a Christian. Yeah. I think the problem is power. So as a Christian, I think we have um, a, a reason that there's a problem. Yeah. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of evil in, Amer- yeah. in the world. Yeah. So God creates man and woman. Everything's perfect. There's no abuse. There's no problems. People sin, introduce a curse into the DNA of the world. And so God says the curse will, he explains what, how the curse is going to work and what the rest of the world is going to look like, including the one we live in. He says to Eve uh, that sh- her she'll be have sorrow and childbirth, which we all know that. And pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, I've heard that used as justification. That is not just, that's like saying uh, you're going to get sick. It's not a good thing. It's, it's a bad thing. It's what's yeah. wrong with the world. So it says your husband, he shall rule over you. We do believe there's two genders and that they're different. They're not identical. And so it shows you that power is going to be a problem for men. Mm-hmm. And that's built into the DNA of men because of the corruption. So sin has corrupted men specifically in the area of power over women. Yeah. And it's listed as part of the effects. So it's obviously not the intention. Right. God's, this was terrible. God was explaining to them, look what you've done. You've ruined everything. Yeah. I made you to get along with each other. Now what you've done is going to be a constant cycle of violence and abuse, men over women. And you just look at the history of the world, Western world, Eastern world, every continent, every culture, just men have abused women. And so you can't sort of narrow it down to any one thing. So we look at churches, why is there so much abuse that's coming out? Because there's a power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Introduce a power dynamic, you bring up this sort of curse where men are using power to oppress women, which is why, I don't know the percentage, but when you hear someone's an abuser, you just assume they're a man. It's not, there are women who abuse, but it's like serial killers. Like, they're men. It's just, men use power to hurt people. And then they twist you know, the sexual plan of God and use that as a power dynamic. And so when you see a power dynamic, you should be looking for an abuse of power. So when you see a church, the more power dynamic you see in that church, the more chance there is for abuse. And it's generally going to be men in charge of women. And so we look at independent Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches, Catholic churches, you see a hierarchy. And a lot of our listeners are familiar with it with the sort of anti-Catholic hierarchy of child abuse and covering it up. And they're like, well, look, that's, there's the hierarchy. You shouldn't have a Pope bishops, but you go to Baptist church and you see the same thing with a pastor who runs the place or a youth pastor who runs a youth group or whatever, or the guy who runs the meeting, you have a mini version of that power. So that's what's happening. So in the case just this week, he was the pastor in a fundamentalist church where he had a lot of respect, a lot of authority she was a teenager who was raised, trained, conditioned to respect, look up, obey him. Mm-hmm. He used that power to manipulate her into a sexual um, relationship, which is abuse. Multiple levels. Sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse. Uh, same thing happened with Jack Scott. Powerful leader. People were trained to respect, obey him. He used that to take a teenager, do the same thing. It's not a Catholic Baptist thing. It's a power dynamic. So when we, where should we be looking for abuse, sexual abuse? It's not good people, bad people. Everything I know about 
Cameron Giovanelli specifically from other people that, that didn't know about this or before this, they liked him. He was a very charismatic guy. Um, he was likable. He was friendly. No real indication that he, there was a problem here, except for the fact that he was in charge. And so there were signs. Now, what's happened is when the leader falls, the whole organization suffers, mm-hmm. at least reputation-wise. So if you care about the organization, even if you don't care about the leader, you'll protect him to protect the organization. And if you have a similar organization, if a leader of another similar organization falls, you're affected by it. So if I'm a pastor and a similar pastor who I'm friends with abuses his power, then I have to deal with that. People look more closely at me and say, well, maybe you're like him. So the tendency will be for me to protect him in order to protect myself. So there's this network. The Catholics did it officially. Yeah. Um, like in the movie Spotlight, I think, that they track that, where they would use this, the structure to move bishops and move priests around so they could be protected. Actually, have you seen the, the one here in Baltimore? Uh, uh, there's, yeah, the documentary on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Where it, where it shows how they were doing that. Mm-hmm. And that was just, I mean, that was down the street from where you grew up. Yeah. I mean, I people in my family know, knew her. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, because it was right there in Catonsville. Yeah. Yeah, so people in our church went to school over there. And had friends and family went there. And so with the Catholic Church, they would protect the organization by literally moving them. And more informal structures like Baptist, independent Baptist, you you can't do that kind of thing as much. But look with Giovanelli. He goes out to California to get a job. These accusations come up. He can't stay there. Instead of being dealt with, he goes to Florida. Why? He's moving. He, he's, he's dodging the spotlight. Then the police come find him and arrest him there, which is what needed to happen. But let's talk about what happened in California. That's not like that's disappeared. Like Jack Treber is a pastor who hired him, who did not deal with it. He sent him somewhere else. And you got Greg Neal down in Florida, who, as far as I can tell, from my personal view of what he did on, you can find the story down in Florida. He committed a sexual assault. I think there's video evidence of that. And yet he's being supported because he's got a network. In fact, what was it? Six months ago, they were going to start a college together. Yeah. Didn't and we, didn't we get a flyer? For we got college? a flyer. Yeah. Sent yeah. to me with their picture on it. I'm like, you, you said this is the wrong church. <laughs> so either Greg Neal is the worst judge of character known to man. Or he's a part of it. And his behavior, the, the police down there didn't press charges because they said the statute of limitations. On Greg Neal. So that's... Why are we covering for these people? Why are we not boycotting their meetings? Preachers are speaking at those places. The sword of the Lord, Shelton Smith, goes down there and preaches for him. What? I see no indication that Shelton Smith is involved in anything personally like this. I've known him for a long time. But you shouldn't be speaking in a church where someone has been accused, credibly. Even the police seem to be on that side. Uh, So... The network is being used to protect fellow ministers so that your ministry can be protected. Instead of saying we, like there's a theme, who's being protected? The people with the most power. Yeah. (laughs) Like who are the church members being protected? Who's who's helping them? Uh, They just sort of get shuffled back and forth. No one knows their name. I think that's a tendency that all of us have to be more concerned with people we know or even know of. The people we've never heard of. 
even if we're not on anyone's side, when we know their name, we're like more concerned mm-hmm. about it, which is a trap. It's power. It's, it's another form of power. It's name rec- recognition power being used to protect people and not other people. And the Bible is clear about that. God is very specific to mention the certain kinds of people who need to be protected. He doesn't say protect the rich people and protect the kings and protect the princes. He specifically says protect the poor, widows, fatherless, the stranger, uh, people who don't have social, structural, money, uh, power, things like that. So when you bring that to our context, who is that? Well, it's certainly a 17-year-old teenager. Could you have less power than a teenager, teenage girl? And yet, the everything I see, um, there's actually a lot of pastors speaking out against this, to their credit. Yeah. I think it's different than it was five years ago. But the ones who I see not speaking out, they're mostly concerned with the alleged perpetrator. Whether they're guilty, whether they're innocent, never any concern for the victim. Even the alleged victim. So I, I think we should give a shout out to uh, Bob Gray II, mm-hmm. who just dropped a video defending or supporting victims and speaking out against perpetrators in a way that must be very personally costly to him. Yeah. I was surprised. I, I was like, if I knew him, I'd say something to him. Like I'd write him, call him on the phone, email him, but I've never had any contact with him. He is giving up things. Even within his own family. Someone mm-hmm. said that's going to be an awkward Christmas dinner. Yeah. In order to support victims that he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you're – that's that's the right thing to do. Yeah. And if people had been doing that, you wouldn't have these sort of situations. So the, the, the power dynamic is what is the red flag. How do you know someone is in a potential abuser? Do they have power? And I say that as a pastor. Right. Okay. So that includes me. I am – more in a position than anybody else in our church to abuse people. And people should just be honest about that. And the more powerful you are in your church, the more respected you are, the more opportunities you have to abuse people. Right. Which I think is why if you look at the qualifications to be put in that position of power, they're extremely steep. Never, No mention of being a good speaker. Yeah. No mention of being a good uh, – Dynamic people person. It's good administration. No. Yeah. It's, are you a good person? Yeah. Are you such a good person that people don't even suspect that you might do something wrong? Which is, I think this is a direct application to be a pastor. Non-Christians have to think highly of you. Yeah. So the minute you get brought up on charges for sexual assault, I think you're disqualified as a pastor. Well, you could be innocent. There's a very real chance that you could be brought up falsely. Uh, people use people in power can use that as a tool to defeat other people. Yeah. The qualifications for a pastor is not never abused anybody. It's no one thinks you abused anybody. So the minute Karen Giovanelli was credibly accused, he was disqualified. Even if he was innocent. That's how serious the Bible takes power. It's like we're gonna make such a wide margin around this that when people hear about you. And I think I have that reputation. Like I can confidently say, like, go to the places I go. Go to the gym where people know me. They're not Christians. They're atheists. They basically hate God. But if you ask them about me, they're like, oh, yeah, he's okay. In fact, just this week, uh, a lady at her gym needed someone to watch her kids. I never met her before. And she posted on, like, the group Facebook page. 
And I said, I'll watch them. And then I said, the gym owners can vouch for me. You've never met the the owners, I don't think. They're not Christians. They've never been to our church. But I was confident that they would say, yeah. And they did. And it's not, I'm not special. (laughs) This is a basic qualification. It's not a special qualification. It's every single pastor in America should be able to get non-Christians to vouch for him that he's okay to be around kids, around teenagers, around other people. And the minute that goes away, you can't be a pastor. So why is Greg Neal's Twitter account locked? Why can't he interact with the world? It's because he's been accused so many times. People watch videos and the local news channel came out and and showed a video that led people to believe that he was an, an abuser. I'm sorry, you're disqualified as a pastor. And you say, well, th- then anyone could get fired. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's to the point that the the universal church is mm-hmm. more important than you holding the position of pastor. Exactly. God doesn't need us right. individually to be the pastor of a church or to be a leader. He does not need another youth leader. And I think people are not accepting the fact that the damage of a pastor abusing somebody is way worse than not having a pastor at all. Mm-hmm. Just that should be simple enough to see. Better to have a. If you can hear background noise, that is the sound of my seven kids running around upstairs chasing a chinchilla. Uh, if you don't know what a chinchilla is, they're a pretty looking rat. Yeah. That when they get loose, it takes a whole family to catch them. So they're above us running around. So if you hear this thumping, that's what they're doing. So anyway, uh, yeah, the point about the damage, just uh, every time you hear about a pastor coming out, sexually assaulting somebody, that's what does damage to the reputation of the church. Not being fired. Not Imagine a church that would fire somebody or, or remove somebody simply because they didn't have a good reputation. That's a good witness. Yeah. And now, you know, as you know, I work around people that have negative views of the church. Right. And they're more than the time that they want to talk about church the most yeah. is when a new report about a pastor abusing somebody comes out. And you, what do you say? You're like, yeah. Yep. There's another one. So instead, we should be having a reputation where you can't even be suspected. And if that means good, honest, innocent pastors lose their jobs that's okay and they can still serve the church they can still as lay people exactly and god put those requirements in the bible knowing what he was doing he said you must have a good report without the church knowing that that would disqualify people who hadn't done anything wrong yeah and especially if you think about the time that that qualification was given right it wasn't in a Christian nation. <laughs> the most pagan nation ever. Right. Roman Empire. Yeah. They had a terrible reputation. People actively sought to disqualify Christians. They were persecuted. They were kicked out of jobs. They were fired from political positions. So there was, if there was an incentive, that was it. Yeah. And they were constantly, even, even the non-elders were constantly, you read through when they're talk, they talk about be above reproach mm-hmm. so that when they bring you up on trial... They don't have a just cause against it. Right. Well, how many of us are being brought up on trial right. because we're Christians? So even then when people had incentives to get Christians, you still had to have a good report, which means there were probably a lot of people who were qualified in every other area who couldn't be pastors. That needs to happen now. That right there, I think, would end a lot of abuse 
because the bar would be so high that it would remove even potential abusers. Mm-hmm. Uh, then secondly, people know this stuff. People know what's going on. I remember there's another Bob Gray who's dead now, not related to the uh, to the current Bob Grays, which is very – this guy was bad. He was abusing children. And uh, Joe Shadowins, who we know, he's passed on now, went down there and was going to work with him or did work with him. So he told me, he said, there was something about Bob Gray that I didn't like. And so he said, I quit. Well, it turns out he was right. How do you pick up on that? Probably because we've descended to that degree. Works out in other ways. It works out in other Yeah, if you've, if you've descended that low. And good for him. Like, he didn't get wrapped up in that ministry. You tell me nobody else knew? With Jack Scopp, he had staff members assisting him to bring the girl to his cabin. What? They're like, oh, I didn't think he'd do anything wrong. You should always assume <laughs> that people are just as sinful as the Bible says they are. Yeah. You should never assume that someone is a pastor, which means they're not as sinful as Adam. So God says Adam will have this problem where he will want to rule over women and abuse power. And everyone that Adam produces, including the pastor of your church, is going to have a problem with power. So the, the priority here is to protect the people who will be victims of the power, not to protect the people in power. And so church, feel free to remove suspect pastors so they can serve in their church without power. Just like everybody else in the church. Mm -hmm. What's the deal? Like, you can only serve if you're a pastor? So there's this terrible view of, what's what we talked about last week, priesthood of all believers. Yeah. If we're all able to serve together, then no one's special, then we should all be satisfied. Yeah. And, you know, Paul talks about how we're all different parts of the body, but no part is dishonorable. Right. Which means you don't need to be a pastor to be a better Christian or a good Christian. That's a terrible view. It's just like... You can't get rid of your pastor or it's going to hurt the ministry. It's not going to hurt them. Disqual- unqualified people in ministry are what hurt the ministry yeah. because they're going to be unfaithful in other areas. So this is our problem. These are our, We're not talking about the Catholic Church. We're not talking about even the Southern Baptist Church. Well, unless you're in the Southern Baptist Church, then it is your problem. We're not talking about the Methodists, the Mormons. We're talking about Baptists like us who know people who have either been convicted accused or are defending people who are accused and it unless we step up and and, and confront the people confront the the accused the the perpetrators uh so uh, multiple things we got to confront them and not just sort of be like oh did you hear about that guy just stay away from him or i'm not going to work with nope you got to confront him the bible clearly says when someone sins you confront them how's what did god do with adam Adam, where are you? Yep. What'd you do, Adam? David committed murder and abuse of power for certain, maybe sexual assault. Debatable, but he certainly abused his power as the king. What'd Nathan do? He walked right up in the mm-hmm. throne room and he said, David, you are, you're God's anointed and you're a sinner. And that's what needs to happen with these pastors. Uh, but then you can't just stop there. You have to isolate them. What I mean by that is you have to remove them from the position they're in and you have to remove yourself from them if they won't change. You cannot speak at their conferences. You cannot work with them. You cannot, if you have a position, you can't let them continue in power. You have to use your power to get them out of, get them away from the people they're hurting. Yeah. Isolate them. 
in, in a sense of get them away from people they can hurt, not in a general sense. That can include prison. I think sometimes people think prison is only punishment. It can be a blessing. If you're a Christian and an abuser, you need some prison time so you can be discipled without distraction. Yeah. Uh, if you abuse people, if you can get away from people for a while in a prison cell, a couple years, five years, 10 years, 50 years, whatever is appropriate, maybe the rest of your life, that can be a blessing. We don't think about that sometimes. I know I've had to counsel people who've been abused and they don't want to say anything because they're afraid that the person who's abusing them will be punished. It's like they're hurting themselves when they abuse. So yeah. if you can put them in prison and isolate them, they can be discipled without distraction. It's like an alcoholic who doesn't go to the bar. That's good for them. They're banned from the bar. They don't have the opportunity to drink so they can work on themselves. So the best thing some some of these abusers can do is spend the rest of their life in jail. Yeah. And that's an act of love on their part. But who's going to do that? It's got to be people who have power. You seek them out and isolate them. If they're on your staff, that's your job. If they're your friend, whatever. If you have associations with them, you should separate from them or get them out of the position. You should not be speaking at their churches. You should not be working with them. You shouldn't be using social media to support them. And then the third thing is, for those of us who do have power, it's to change the system. I see a lot of good pastors who are totally against this. And all they say is, I'm against it. Which is the first thing you should say. Maybe that's right. the first thing is you speak out publicly, social yeah. media, your church, whatever the appropriate setting is. Like, I'm against this. I want to be clear. I'm not hiding it. But you can't stop there. Otherwise, it's just going to happen again with the next person. There has to be systems put into place to protect people. What's going to keep the next pastor from abusing his kids? from the youth pastor taking advantage of people. You look at the church out in California. I mean, I hate to name names, but it's already in the news and court records. Um, Bruce Goddard is a pastor. Now, as far as I can tell, he's done nothing to, to abuse anybody, but he's had two youth pastors do it. First youth pastor abused. And then like, I think like 20 years later, they did it again. In other words, nothing changed from the first one to the second one. And the second one used the account, the account of the first one to silence victims. He's like, look what happened to the first guy. Nothing. So that pastor needs to, honestly, he needs to resign at this point. Um, that much abuse in your church has disqualified you, I believe. Not for abuse, but just for being the, the kind of guy who creates a structure. But he needs, but it, let's assume it was the first time. He needs to put a structure in place that prevents this. There need to be classes in seminaries and Bible colleges on how not to have a staff with abusers in it. Yeah, and I think also part of it too is um, the youth pastor doesn't get a se second set of qualifications. If he's a pastor, exactly, he's held. I think there's sometimes because they're the youth right. pastor, there's like a lower standard of qualifications. Right, but right. If he's, if he's pastoring people, he has the same high bar as everybody exactly. else. Exactly. If he's shepherding the flock, right. even in the small part of the flock. He's got power. He's got influence, which means he needs to have the high bar of an, of a pastor. God knew what would happen if you put unqualified people in position. Mm -hmm. And pastors who put unqualified people or unstructured or put, put them in places where there's no protections are responsible for that. They have to give an account for that. So a lot of us who are speaking out against it, great. But what are we doing practically to, first of all, prevent abuse, but also to deal with the abuse in our churches? 
And that's why I appreciate about Bob Gray II. I'm sure we disagree on a ton of stuff. But he's using his influence to separate himself from people, including his dad, in an effort to change the system, knowing that you won't get support from certain people. Mm-hmm. Uh, until that happens, it's like the Catholic Church. The system wasn't changed. They just tried to get rid of the bad people. That's not enough. Because if Adam's curse tells us anything, there's always a new set of bad people. Yep. You get rid of one, they're going to get replaced. So what are we as pastors and leaders and church members doing to not just speak out against the wrong thing, which some aren't even doing that, but to actually change the kind of church where you can have a whole newspaper series tracking one's kind of church and all the abuse attached to it? How do we change that? I think, first of all, we need to, to train young ministers. And you'll get a ton of classes on how to run a sound system. Or how to organize a door-to-door outreach. Or what to preach on dress standards in some of these colleges. You won't get anything on how to keep your church from being an abusive church. Mm -hmm. How to deal with abuse. And so a lot of these pastors don't know what to do. They're being poorly trained. But even individual pastors in our churches, how are we dealing with it? How are we putting structures in place? How are we mentoring people? Not just to preach the word faithfully and not just to do all that, but how to keep people from being abused in their own church. I've had people sit in my office who didn't know they were being abused. They hadn't been taught what abuse was. Yeah. And who didn't teach them? Their pastor didn't teach them. And I'm sure if you came and asked our church members, they would probably say, I'm sure I failed in this area too. Like, but you're an elder too. It's your fault too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we're failing in some areas. Yeah. Obviously. But is there an intention here where we're even trying to train people? Abu- Here's what abuse is. Because I think people don't realize what abuse is. So let's talk about sexual assault. I think people only think of that as when somebody grabs you yeah. in an alley, forcibly holds you down and assaults you, which is certainly assault. Yeah, that's one. There's also the other kinds where they say, you're going to get fired from your job if you don't do what I want. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Or um, in the pastor's case, if you love God, they won't say those words, but they Basically, we'll say you will not be a good spiritual person. You don't love the church if you don't do what I say. Um, if you respect the pastor, you'll listen to me. These are all assault. If you take a 16-year-old and you're a 30, 40-year-old pastor, that's not an equal relationship. Yeah, The power dynamic can never be equal in that situation without outside structures. Hmm. So, and a lot of pastors are doing this. I got a friend sitting in jail right now. Like, I'm friends with him. Like we went, we did stuff together. We went to conferences together and we, and he's in jail because he thought it was consensual because she was 17 and he was 30, I think. And I think he was delusional because no one had taught him you're an abuser. Consent is not everything. Yeah. You can, you can manipulate people into consenting. And, and I think we understand that at some point, but that needs to be taught. If you're a 22-year-old, you can abuse a 17-year-old, even though that age difference is not that much, if you're in power. And I think that's not – I'm afraid to ask how many young youth pastors are abusing their their youth people because they think they're the same age, which in the world it would – if you were just in college together, it wouldn't be that appropriate. But the minute you get power in place – you're, you can be an abuser in that sense. 
and that uh, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse. I think spiritual abuse is rampant in the church far more. Yeah, I've been a part of a spiritual abuse. I've sat behind pulpit. I've preached behind pulpits in the past and abused people spiritually by by manipulating their guilt by shaming. That's in some ways that's how a lot of independent Baptist preachers are taught. They're taught how to abuse people spiritually by guilting, by shaming, by pressuring. Uh, so that needs to be dealt with because it's a step towards something else. And how do you change that system? You have to train people what it is. You have to put structures in place. You, you got to prevent abusers from being developed and then keep the abusers out. And the whole point here is to protect the victims. And that includes psychologically. Like Some of the stuff that's been said is to people like Giovanelli's victim, Sarah Jackson, the stuff that's been said to her is abuse. Yeah. Even after the original abuse. She posted a picture of Giovanelli's wife. And the stuff she said in that letter was abusive. Mm-hmm. And she was saying it she was saying it to silence her. So what are we doing after the fact to protect victims? Part of it is we make the victims speak all the time. No one's speaking for them. So Sarah Jackson has to come out and constantly go and talk to people. And so you have to give Stacy Shiflet credit. For taking a, the brunt of a lot of that, yeah. making the videos, putting his name out there, getting a lot of attacks. Everyone should be doing that. Once you've been victimized once, you shouldn't have to do it again. You should be protected from powerful men who are trying to shame you, slight you. And I'm sure we could do a better job ourselves. I'm not sure how, but that doesn't mean we're not guilty. Like, just because you don't know doesn't mean you shouldn't know. Of protecting people that like on social media and and, mm-hmm. and things like that in, in our own churches. What is it like? One in three women are are assaulted. I think so. And then maybe like one in nine men or one in seven men. I think it's one in five. Is it know. one in five? Yeah. Right. Who knows? Because there's no way to accurately know. Yeah. Both sides are drastically <laughs> underreported. I know people have been assaulted. They don't go to the FBI. Yeah. Like the level it gets to to get to the police point is pretty high. Right. Which is part of why. The conversation about when abuse comes out is mm-hmm. so important yeah. because it's underreported because they see how yeah. people treated. that do report it get treated. Yeah. So part of breaking down those structures of promoting abuse and mm-hmm. creating an environment for abuse to run rampant is yeah. by supporting victims. Yes. It's harder to come out as a victim than to be accused. Now, the Bible is very clear that you should not bear false witness. Mm-hmm. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's very serious to be a liar, to be a false. The Bible doesn't say don't lie. It says don't bear false witness. So, it's very clear that you should not bear false. You should not falsely accuse someone. There should be laws against that. The church should preach against lying. But I don't really talk too much about things that never happen. I don't preach against cannibalism, though I'm obviously against cannibalism because I don't see it happening. So we should be talking about the things that are happening. And when a victim comes out and says, I've been victimized, that right there takes a ton of courage, effort. Yeah. It probably takes years to work up to that point. And they probably have people around them supporting them. Well, Hope- yeah. I mean, and you it's not even probably. If you look at the yeah, reports, yeah. it's always after. Yeah. Because it's- Usually they have to grow up. Yeah. Because they don't have the strength as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they do- we should be supporting them and creating a safe space for them to speak. And in a church, that's it's not a court. 
It's not a legal system. You don't need legal evidence to follow up on things, to support people. So there's a lot of pushback on sort of believe women as if you should just suspend everything and just believe everything anybody says because they're a woman, which I think people who think that are, are being a little intentionally obtuse. It's reductionist. Yeah. What it's saying is given the evidence and given the knowledge of human nature and given Genesis chapter 3, when a woman says that a man has abused her who's in power, he probably has. And you're not a judge, jury, or executioner, so your level of belief doesn't need to match that level of power. Judges shouldn't just believe women. That's not fair. They have too much power to just sort of take someone at their word. So they have trials and court systems. But the church is not the legal system. And we don't have the power to punish people either. So we don't have this have as high of a standard of belief. I think people don't get that. They think if you believe a victim, it means you think you should throw them in jail right away. It's like, no, there's a process for that. What power do we have? We have the power of church discipline, the power of separation. You know, don't even eat with those who've been sort of excommunicated. We have the power of words. Those are those are powers. Mm-hmm. We should believe women and use those powers appropriately. Now, if you're a police officer, judge, court, jury, you have a different set of standards because you have a different set of powers. But the reason women don't come forward, and some men too, I, I know men who've been abused. Yeah, they're even less likely to come forward because of the whole stigma of of men. They're not going to come forward unless they think you're going to believe them. Well, how are they going to know you believed them? Because you've got a track record of being accepting, welcoming, open. First Corinthians 13. What does love do? Love believes all things. Yeah. If you don't, I mean, this is coming to me now, but if you don't believe credible women when they come forward, you don't love them. Yeah. Love believes all things. It doesn't suspend reality. But unless there's a reason not to, you believe them. And then you go forward from there. If that was the attitude of a church where people were loved, then they would reveal things and they would be protected. And you could say this if you, if you, some people be listening may have been falsely accused. And so that'd be a trigger for them. Love believes all things. So if you tell your friend, I didn't do it, they should believe you. You can believe two people at one time, I think. (laughs) It's like, it's okay. Like we hold paradoxical beliefs all the time. And if, that's what the police are for. It's what detectives mm-hmm. are for. It's what the justice system should be for. But if you love someone, especially a church member or another fellow Christian or a fellow human, you love your neighbor as yourself, you'd want to be believed. You should believe them. Yeah. And I think too, we, um, so for creating an atmosphere for them to think that they'll, you'll believe them, mm-hmm. even if you're not talking about abuse in the church or mm-hmm. specific cases, right. abuse in political climates or in right. entertainment climates. Yep. Victims listen to how you react to all of those things. Exactly. So you hear of, well, let's just be blunt. You hear Donald Trump admit on can- on record that he sexually assaulted women. Yeah. You laugh at that. You dismiss that. Your members hear that and they think, I don't know what he'll do, but I think he might do the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe he won't. And you may say, no, I wouldn't do that because I know them. This isn't political. Okay, but they're, they have a lot to lose. Yep. And so they're going to want a high probability that you're going to protect them. And so they're going to watch your behavior. They're going to watch how you react to videos, to comments, to jokes. I've had people tell me, like, you shouldn't make those jokes. I know you think it's funny in the sense of, like, like the typical, like, men and women, like, kitchens and yeah. all that sort of stuff. 
they're like, yeah, it's it's a joke. But now I'm wondering what you'll say the next time. Yeah. Uh, I've even been told, don't make fun of these situations, even when you're on the side of women. Don't make light of them. Yeah. Because it could be a sign that you are just saying things to be politically correct. Mm -hmm. That you really, if you could really say what you wanted to, that you would. And so you kind of make a joke. Women can sense, like, are you trying to test the waters? Yeah. Are you trying to see how far it can go? So we need to be very clear, like, when we sense abuse in any level, political, church, work, home, we should be against it. And people will pick up on that. Yeah. And victims are watching and hoping that there's, like, finally there's a person in power who's going to protect me and not abuse me. And that's just basic gospel-level, Bible-level Christianity. Love one another. Love your neighbors yourself. Don't abuse people and don't support abusers. When you say power, that doesn't necessarily mean institutional power. There's power and there's informal power. Right. So everybody yeah. that everybody has some sort of power. Uh, yep. So everybody Absolutely. should be careful right. to exercise that power in a right. biblical manner. If you're a large person, if you're a man, if you're just a man, so we should all be aware of this. If you're walking down the street at night by yourself, and you and you are approaching a woman. You are sh- typically stronger than that woman. Yeah. Which means in that dynamic, you have power that she doesn't. We should be aware of that. She never met us before. Like I just saw someone tweet that he, she says, "I really appreciate you guys who, when you're walking behind me, you run really fast to get in front of me." Yeah. Why? Because that man is saying, "I recognize that I could assault you, so I'm going to get out of the way." So. And yeah. people are like, oh, my goodness, everyone's so afraid. It's like, no, you're just caring for other people. Yeah. So it's the, a way to submit. He has the right to walk at the yep. speed that he's comfortable at. Right. And instead, <laughs> he's exerting himself yep. and submitting his right to yep. love his neighbor. Love his neighbor. So you s- love his sacrifice. Yeah. So you sacrifice the little energy that you're going to suspend, right. that you're going to spend to make the other person feel more comfortable. Yeah. So – there's power. There's family power. If you're a husband, a man, you probably have power in the relationship, more power in the relationship typically. But maybe you're a woman too. Okay, you got more power. Uh, if you are a, a, a funny person, I've seen plenty of funny people. Uh, Bill Maher is a, a perfect example. But I've, I've got friends who are funny and they can use that to sort of control the conversation or to make people feel bad. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a kind of power. Uh, you see it used well with like satire. When it attacks people in power, where you can use humor to attack like structural power, systemic power, uh, Gulliver's Travels, that's what they did. Yeah, so the the abilities you have, whether it's positions you hold, physical powers you have, powers of speech, powers- which, which none of them are bad things. None of them are bad things. God gave them all to you. Yeah. Uh, but you can use the God-given things- to abuse other people in small ways and big ways. You can also send the message that you're okay with abuse. So yeah, power comes in a lot of different forms and a lot of different levels. Yeah. So there's, so there's some common, not defenses, but there's some common concerns whenever this topic comes up. So if maybe we could talk about those. Mm-hmm. So one of the, we've already talked a little bit about the, um, 
hurting the image of the church. Right. So that's a common concern. Yeah. So, you know, deal with something quietly in-house. To protect the, the to witness, protect the, the witness testimony. Of the witness of the testimony of the yeah. church. Yeah. That's assuming that you know what's better for the church than the Bible does. Yeah. And the Bible clearly says that the character of the church and is more important than sort of the reputation of the church. So if you need to purge the church of sin and everyone else finds out about that and they didn't know you had sin, but when you purged it, when you dis- excommunicated someone, you disciplined them, then they find out, okay, you can't not do what the Bible says yeah. because someone's going to find out. And then when you hide sin, what happens? The Bible's clear that you can't hide sin. It's yeah. a poison. It's a corruption. Yep. It's like trying to paint over rust. It'll come back. And it just comes back later and it's worse. And I think we're seeing the results of that where churches are being justly categorized as abusing churches because of what other people have done. So it's worse when you hide it. So I've also heard uh, there's a verse in Ephesians. It says, for it is a shame even to speak of the things which are done of them in secret. So a lot of people say that right. even talking about these things are mm-hmm. shameful. Yeah. Yeah, that's – okay, what about 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul – talk about shameful. He actually says it. He says there's something that even the pagans don't do, which is a mother, a man is living with his father's mother. That's pretty shameful. Mm-hmm. Why did he speak about it? Because it needs to be dealt with. I think the Ephesians passage is is – you can have levels of detail as well. Yeah, I mean also too um, – so I so I bring that verse up more because it's usually used by people covering for abuse, right? Um, but if you go back one verse, okay, yeah, uh, so, <laughs> context, yeah. So the verse before that, and so whenever, so if anybody uses that verse, yeah, just go back one verse and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, right? Not hide them, yeah. Not, not don't speak so about. It's not them. saying not to speak about them. It's saying that it's so shameful, yeah, that it's done in secret. Yeah, yeah, right. It, it, but it, how do you not have fellowship with it if you don't know about it? Yeah. How do you reprove it if you don't know about it? How do you prove it, reprove it secretly? If an elder sins, what's the church supposed to do? Rebuke them openly that all may fear. Yeah. Openly, all. Like, what, what do we not understand about these words? It's Those words are always used by people trying to cover something up. Yeah. It's never by people who are purging sin. And I think the lack of church discipline in our churches in the past 150 years is being revealed. We have no process for discipline and we are afraid of it and we avoid it. And now we don't know what to do. So we hide stuff. What would be, what should be the appropriate reaction Mm -hmm. if you're in a position of power, not a position Mm -hmm. of power and a victim reports to you that something happened. So you're like the pastor. Yeah. They come to you and say the youth pastor abused me. Okay. The first thing is you shouldn't be doing this by yourself. 17-year-old girl comes to us and says, we don't have a youth pastor, so we'll use this mythical youth pastor that we don't have. Right. It's a terrible person. We made a huge mistake in hiring him. Youth pastor John Doe, she says, he abused me. So let's go through the process. I'm in my office. I immediately, I would probably immediately call my wife. I do not want to have a conversation with a girl by herself about sexual abuse. The idea being this is not, this is not private. Yeah. This is not private anymore. Um, okay, so I would call a, another lady or, or my wife, probably just something so it's not just me. We don't want to hide anything. If she says something like um, sexual abuse, call the police. 
Yeah, I think that would be the next step is call the police. Well, I guess maybe call her parents. She's an yeah, I mean, there's a lot of yeah, there's it, a lot of variables in a right. Uh, situation that the ethic here is expose the evil hold the people so expose the evil protect the victim hold the perpetrator accountable yeah if they broke the law call the police if they didn't break the law because let's say she's 22 maybe it is it depends on what you call the police yeah (laughs) when in doubt call the police yeah uh if it's not a crime they'll just tell you don't call some lawyer i hear a lot of people doing that calling lawyers don't call lawyers Lawyers have one job, and that's to defend you, not investigate. Mm-hmm. It just looks bad. It looks like you're trying to protect yourself. Yeah, if it's a crime or if you think it's a crime, report it. Yeah. Isolate the victim or the perpetrator. Don't put them together. I've seen pastors put them together in a room. No. Oh, my goodness. That's a terrible idea. I've been a part of that. Not a church member. But I was, I regret it terribly that I allowed that, to, or I didn't allow it, I had no control. I was there for it. I should have stood up and said, I'm not going to be here for this. This is wrong. I don't know what I should have done, but you can't just sit there and let it happen. Abusers should not confront their victims. That, that's, that's maybe a trial. Right. So you got to protect them, isolate mm-hmm. them, suspend the potential abuser if they're in staff. Maybe they're innocent, but they're not qualified anymore. Yeah. At that moment. So you either suspend them. I don't know if fire is the right word. If you're a congregational church, you should be able to. But it's the ethic behind it. It's yeah. protecting the victims. It's exposing the sin. It's avoiding future abuse. It's creating yeah. an environment that's safe. Yeah. So the specific actions are going to look different depending on right. the circumstances. Yeah. But the overarching goals of- right. Are going to be the same. Yeah, and that's going to be tough. And that's why we don't want to do it by ourselves. We want support networks and we want to study it and research it and read articles and prepare. Yeah, the, much first, as possible. the first time you're thinking about what you should do yeah. shouldn't be when it's the first time it's reported to you. Which is what happened with, with the person I'm talking about where I sat down with them and the abuser. Uh, it, it was verbal abuse and emotional abuse, it wasn't sexual or physical. I'd never been in that situation in my entire life. I'd never heard of anyone in that situation. And it wasn't until after it happened and I was like, wow, that was a mistake. That was poor training. I was poorly trained. I should have been taught what to do in that situation. I wasn't. And I had to learn the hard way and the victim had to suffer more. So don't wait till it happens. Think through this. And the exposure of all these people is a good thing for us because it's letting us prepare ahead of time. So yeah, the victim comes to you. You do everything to protect the victim, expose the evil, and prevent future abuse. And anytime you feel like you're covering it up or minimizing, like eh, that's not good. So what should we say to people that are either victims or potential victims? Right. The way power abuse often works, if it's not sometimes even when it's physical violence, it's usually manipulation in a way that makes a victim feel responsible, which is abuse. So victims need to hear that's not their fault. They were abused. They were attacked. They were manipulated. They were coerced. So they're going to feel guilt and they're going to feel like they've done something wrong because their abuser wants them to feel that way. This happens all the time with children. Yeah. You're going to get in trouble. So victims need to hear that they are not at fault. They have been abused. They have been manipulated. And and they're going to say, well, how do I know? Well, look at the power dynamic. Yeah. Were they above you? Were they stronger than you? Were they more... uh, influential than you? Did they have power of your money? Were they your pastor? 
when that power dynamic enters, that means you've been taken advantage of. And it's not your fault that someone abused power, even if you, you know, you didn't fight hard enough. Like that's, that's no, that's power manipulators. Don't just come straight at you. They don't run at you on the street and punch you in the face. Like that's not how it works. It'd be easier if it was. It's manipulation and it's using psychological control, which is why victims don't come out for years because they have to work past these psychological barriers that they've been given and manipulated into. And that works at all levels of abuse, um, spiritual, emotional, physical, sexual. So the victim is the victim and the perpetrator is the perpetrator. And, And abusers will always try to put responsibility on their victim. Yeah, I think another psychological impact is reaffirming their value. Yeah. They, your value does not change based on what someone does to you. Yeah. Genesis 1, verse 27, God creates man and woman in his image. The next chapter, or chapter 3, Adam and Eve destroy the whole world with their sin. Do terrible things. Genesis chapter 9, God says again, man is made in God's image. Yep. Despite having destroyed the world, like literally they destroyed the world, yet his status as image of God has not changed. We can compare this to a believer. Believers are the temple of God. It does not matter what they've done or has been done to them. They're still the temple of God. And I think I tweeted this out recently. God doesn't, God wants a believer's body to be his temple more than he wants the actual physical temple, which was made with like granite and cedar and gold. And it was like the most, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. Yet God says it's better to have a believer, which means that a believer cannot lose value or a person can't lose value because of something that was done to them, which includes also physical appearance, abilities, um, all sorts of things like that. Yeah, so our status – so a human status is is decided by who created them and how he created them, which is image of God, which is a reflection of God. You can't take that away from somebody, no matter what's done to them or what they do. A believer status is given to them by Christ, which cannot be taken away again. So when we treat people, we either treat them as the image of God or as the image of Christ. So your what was done to you does not affect that status. You are always going to be in the image of God. And if you're a believer, you're always going to be in the image of Christ, no matter what sin you commit or what sin is committed against you. And yeah, that needs to be constantly reaffirmed because Satan, who is the ultimate abuser, yeah. the ultimate manipulator, and then all his minions many of whom are pastors, are going to try to undermine that. And especially with sexual abuse, if they can make you feel less or like you deserve it, yeah. they get what they want. That's just a, a more abuse of power. It's anti-gospel, it's anti-Christ. And the Bible is very clear. Everyone reflects God and believers reflect Christ. So another thing is we're independent Baptists, which right. means we don't have a connected framework. Right, no denomination. Um, so, you know, we – Part of Baptist distinctives is the autonomy of the local mm-hmm. church. So how does that come into play with yeah. um, other churches? Yeah. So the authority of the church with sin, so someone sins, only the local church can excommunicate that person. Another church can't come into your church and excommunicate people. So in one sense, the only person that can spiritually discipline them, remove them from fellowship is the local church it happens in. That does not mean that there's no other connections. So in the New Testament, over and over you see Paul – Timothy, connecting churches to each other, calling out churches. Uh, Paul rebukes Peter. They weren't members of the same church. So you don't get to pick which sins you 
ARG for and which ones you're against. Yeah. Well, that's not my church, so I'm not going to speak against it. Yeah. No one, no one holds that standard. Yeah. Well, me even in the example in First Corinthians, right? Paul speaks out against it and then tells them that yeah. the major- vote of the majority is enough right. to remove them. Yeah. So the, the, what you can do to someone changes depending on your independent status, right. uh, and that's the way it should be. I shouldn't be able to discipline someone in another church, but that does not mean I can't speak against it. And there are more connections than just church membership. Pastor friends who are friends with each other have influence over each other. That's that's a good thing. Pastors fellowships, conferences, even denominations can be that way. You should have outside people who are helping you and working together. Paul did all the time. He always connected. I think the church at Corinth gave money to the church at Jerusalem. Why? Because they were connected. They were part of the same ministry. So when you see abuse in another church, that's your responsibility to a degree, Mm -hmm. especially if you bear the same name. If there's abuse in the Mormon church, I have some responsibility as sort of an American maybe or, I don't know, a Christian. They kind of consider themselves Christians. The closer it gets to me, the more responsibility I have. So if someone is calling themselves an independent Baptist and I'm an independent Baptist, I can't pretend like it's not my problem. What you do about it changes. So if I have no contact with them other than the fact that they're an independent Baptist, I'm just going to simply say, make it public that I'm against what they're doing. If I'm friends with them, I'm going to speak to them directly. I'm going to go to them and say, as your friend, you're wrong. If I'm the only person that knows about it, you didn't have a higher level. You have to... If you're the only person who knows about it, as an independent Baptist, you should tell their church what happened. You should tell the whole church what happened. And you should tell the police too. Uh, that's happened multiple times where pastors are handed off. Yeah. Jack Hiles did it with Dave Hiles. Um, it happened with, with uh, the church with the two youth pastors. One got sent back to Hiles. A lot of these churches are receiving members who they don't know where they came from or what they did. Mm-hmm. You have a responsibility as a Christian to protect other Christians who are being, you know, something's being handed to them they don't know about. So you, the, the independent claim only works when you're trying to avoid responsibility, I've noticed. Yeah. When you're trying to tell people that they shouldn't be doing this or that, suddenly everyone feels free to do it about stuff they care about. Yeah, so, when, we're, when we're arguing over King James Version, sure, independent's yeah. not as important. You feel free to call out the liberals down the road. Yeah. Or even real things. Yeah. Heresy. If the church down the road, which we have, we have a uh, what's the name of the church down the road? The her- heretical I only church. I drive by it three or four <laughs> yeah, times. I know, right? Week. It's um, well, what's the denomination? We have a church it. down the road that believes in baptismal regeneration. Yeah. Well, since it's a mile from us and people drive by it, I I occasionally speak out against it and say that church teaches heresy because it's within our sphere of influence. I'm not connected to that church. I'm not going to walk down to that church and tell its members. Like, that's not, they're not part of my network or connections, but I'm going to tell our people about it. But if it was an independent Baptist church and they were teaching heresy, they were abusing people, I would tell our people and I would make it known. Like, I probably should be more consistent on this. I'm trying to think of (laughs) cases where I haven't done this. Independence is not a license to cover up sin. It's a license. It's it's a it's an authority given to the church to handle their internal business, not cover up sin. Even if we're independent Baptists, the Bible doesn't. It commands us to love your neighbor. Yeah, that's not love your neighbor if they're part of your church or if they're part of your denomination. So if your neighbor happens to be another independent Baptist church and you know there's being that they're being abused, you should still love them, call them out, protect the abuser. That's the whole thing here. It's like loving people means protecting them from abuse. 
your church for sure, but other churches that you're related to and connected to and, and know about. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think we have a tendency to narrow. Right. Who, you know, like the like the person re- responded, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to give a parable. Right. Basically, anybody you come in contact with Who's is your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he was trying to narrow it to say, like, tell me who I'm not responsible, who's yeah. not my neighbor. Who, who so don't I don't have to love. Right. And she was like, let me think of the worst, the, the example that you would have the least connection with. Yeah. So when you come across a church or a Christian or a human who's being abused, they now become your responsibility. And that doesn't mean you can excommunicate them, but it does mean you can protect them and advocate for them and help them. Unfortunately, the church should be a safe place for victims, but it's often not. And pastors can't be always trusted to protect them. So if you are a victim or you have been abused or you're a survivor uh, and you want to report it, you can report to 800-656-HOPE. Uh, that's the RAIN network, which is a, a national network that can get help. Or you can go on their website at RAIN.org, and that's RAIN as in R-A-I-N-N. Uh, or you can just call the police, and they have... Anonymous tip lines, they have, hopefully they'll have some sort of, they've been doing a lot better at sort of protecting witnesses, but you're going to report anonymously. Uh, but on the one hand, don't hide it. On the other hand, make sure you're protecting yourself. If, if you can't report it safely, read some books, find some websites, listen to some podcasts. And, and the RAIN um, hotline is confidential. Right. That could be just the first step you need. Yeah. Um, again, the whole thing is here. You defend, you support, you protect victims, survivors. Uh, you don't tra- re-traumatize them. You see re-traumatizing all the time. Yeah. Uh, so churches should be the place for that, but if they're not, go to rain.org or call them. Um, then pastors, leaders, everybody listening to this podcast, educate yourself on what abuse is. There's a lot of verbal abuse happening in homes and churches from pulpits that is sinful, that is evil, that is harmful, that is destructive, that is antichrist, all these words that the Bible talks about, but it's no one recognizes it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of fathers who are abusing their wives and their kids. They don't know. It. There's a lot of mothers that are abusing their kids. There's a lot of pastors abusing their members by the way they speak to them. Emotional abuse is a thing. Spiritual abuse is a thing, and of course, physical and and sexual abuse. But a lot of times we don't recognize it because we don't know what it is. If you're a leader, you are accountable for knowing this kind of stuff. And there's from after you hear me say this, you no longer have an excuse for not knowing what abuse is because you are have been warned. And we need to do the same thing. Like we need to constantly be aware and be grateful for all the victims who are coming forward to educate us at their own expense. And protect us from more perpetrators. If Sarah Jackson hadn't come forward, we wouldn't know about Cameron G. Vidali. He'd be in California right now overseeing college students. Yeah. And who knows what else is happening. Mm-hmm. So we should be thankful and, and we should go out of our way to protect them and help them and just create an environment that Christ has called us to do, which is love one another, bear one another's burdens, uh, protect people, you know, just like God does. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyandhope.com or message us on Twitter at History and Hope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice.